Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about that coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you weekly author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest upcoming cozy mystery releases. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, my cozy friends, and welcome to another episode of Get Cozy Podcast. We have such a fun show planned for you today and a very exciting special guest, S.C. Perkins, who also goes by Stephanie Perkins. And Stephanie is the author of the Ancestry Detective series. She's a fifth-generation Texan who grew up hearing fascinating stories of her ancestry and eating lots of great Tex-Mex, both of which inspired the plot of her debut mystery novel. Murder Once Removed was the winner of the 2017 Malice Domestic Best First Traditional Mystery Competition. She resides in Houston, and when she's not writing or working at her day job, she's likely outside in the sun, on the beach, or riding horses. So welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. Um, And do you want to tell us, before we dive into our conversation today, uh, why you go by SC Perkins? Uh, well, as you mentioned, there is an, um, uh, my name is Stephanie Perkins, but there is another great author by the name of Stephanie Perkins, and she writes young adult uh, romance and suspense horror. And um, so we get confused with each other all the time and whatnot. But I had always known originally that I wanted to use my initials. Um, so, but it, SC does not flow off the tongue very well whenever you're talking to somebody. So I just usually say, call me Stephanie. But uh, when you are looking me up, uh, you do need to uh, make sure to do SC Perkins Writer or scperkins.com. And otherwise, you'll get the other Stephanie. So after you listen to this podcast and you go to buy the books, make sure you're searching for SC Perkins to get the cozy mysteries. Absolutely. So today we're going to be chatting all about those pesky characters who constantly keep us guessing about who done it, the red herrings. But before we dive into that discussion, Stephanie, tell us what the Ancestry Detective series is all about. Uh, Well, my main character is Lucy Lancaster, and she is a professional genealogist. And I set my books in Austin and are mostly in Austin. And um, and she researches genealogy and gets pulled into mysteries that have a genealogical background or theme to them. And uh, they're so much fun to write. And, uh, and I just have an absolute blast researching all of that and, uh, and going into it. And, um, and I just, I love writing them. So I love these books. And I love the way that Lucy incorporates genealogy into her, into her sleuthing. And I would also add that I consider your series to be one that fits into that millennial cozy group. Since your cast of characters is young and hip and just very much part of that Austin City scene. And it's just so much fun to read. Thank you. Yeah, I I really um, thought about what age I wanted to make Lucy whenever I first started writing these books, and um, 
And in the end, I thought it would be fun to make her a little bit younger um, in hopes that uh, it would possibly inspire younger people to get interested in their genealogy because most people actually don't until they're a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that actually did pay off. I've had a, a couple of readers write in and say, you know, I was never really interested in I read these and everything. And so now I've started poking into it and, and they were younger. So that was great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, like you read the title of the book and you expect an older protagonist um, and then we get Lucy and it's just so much fun to have that like youthful character. And I mean, you've definitely got the like the mysterious, uh, more serious vibes in the book, but then you also have moments where it feels almost like a sitcom, um, like mm-hmm. like friends, like you're watching a group of friends and it's just a lot of fun. So I always tell people like, I know it's about gen- genealogy, but it also is like a very young vibe to the book as well. I love that. That's um, and that's exactly what I was going for. Was just a, a you know lots of humor um, mixed in with a little bit of almost a thriller aspect, a little bit of a light thriller. And then Lucy's friends are so much fun to write. So yeah, I, I love that description. Yeah, light thriller. That sounds that sounds perfect after reading the series. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners who may just be getting started into the mystery genre, can you tell us what a red herring is? A red herring is a, a literary device um, that is used to uh, direct the reader's attention to information that is they think that is important and not really is. So it's, it's just it's basically used as a misdirect to... Um, to keep the, the, the book fresh and so that, uh, so that hopefully you don't figure out who did um, the killing or the murder or, or um, you know, whatever the mystery is before um, for the book ends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was actually, I love little useless bits of information and everything. So I just happened to look up um, why it was called a red herring. And apparently, yeah, and apparently back in the early 1800s, um, there was a um, an Englishman who noticed that uh, smoked fish were often used to um, to misdirect dogs during a hunt. Um, And so and when a when a herring is smoked, it turns red or reddish. And so therefore, because it was used as a misdirect, um, it was called a red herring and that's exactly what it's used for now. So in just in the literary world. So I thought that was kind of fun. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. And why am I not surprised after reading your books that you went and did that research to find out that information? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. That feels just like very on brand and I love that you did that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yes. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Um, So what attributes would you say make for a really good red herring? Um, Well, I think that uh, sometimes they need to be subtle and sometimes they, but mostly they need to be interesting enough to make the reader kind of think, huh, maybe this person um, had, you know, is the person who did the deed who done it. And um, I, I think sort of making the reader sort of twig to possibly this person or this character um, did something wrong is, is a key to it and maybe giving them a motive and, and whatnot. And then, and it also, also gives 
the writer and the reader, you know, um, um, ways to sort of flesh out other characters and everything. And, um, but also, you know, so you get to find out maybe why this other character that is a red herring had a motive for maybe killing someone else and everything. And it's just, but I think that having, um, just those little interesting characters come in and, um, and just, or, or maybe it's just a situation that gives uh, a possibility um, for revealing the killer is, is what makes for a good red herring. And, um, and I like to change it up as much as I possibly can. And, uh, but, th- but they're fun to do. They're fun to put in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I really enjoy writing that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I agree with what you said about the motivations. Like for me, a red herring character, I like to have their motivations as well developed in a book that I'm reading as the killers would be so that I suspect them equally. And the then the end is more of a surprise. Mm-hmm. And then well. sometimes I really enjoy it when a potential suspect is a character that I like, because then I'm like really emotionally invested in them and rooting for them to not be the killer in the end. And it ups the stakes a little bit more. So that's fun sometimes too. Exactly. I, I completely agree with that. And, uh, I know that some readers like to try to figure out who done it before they get to the end of the book. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a a mind puzzle for them. And some readers don't. And I'm, I'm actually in the latter category. I, I read a a mystery and I'd like to watch the, or read the progression of it all. And I like to have all of it surround me. And I certainly think about it. And the more I write, the more I can usually figure out to some level who it might be and whatnot, but I don't really try to, to figure it out uh, too much, mm-hmm. but, and, but there's a lot of people who do. And, and I, I think that that's great too. I don't have any problem with it whenever a reader tells me, Oh, you know, I was pretty sure I fi- could figure it out and, and whatnot. And cause I really, cause I recognize, I mean, that's what a mystery is. It's a puzzle. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I I respect both ways of, of doing it and whatnot, but the red herrings definitely help those who really like to try to figure it out while they're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely helps keep them from, <laughs> from figuring it out too soon, hopefully. <laughs> so that's exactly what a red herring is for. Yeah, I completely agree. There, there definitely seems to be like two camps in a cozy mystery readership where some are like the book sleuthers that are really trying to dig in and solve the mystery. And then some of us, it's like, you can't help but like think about who done it. But at the same time, we love to be surprised at the end. So I'm definitely in that camp as well, where I love it. If at the ending, I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, book sleuthing is fun as well. So I definitely can see both camps. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and I, I think the only time when it becomes awkward is I've been to book signings where it's not my signing, where I've been watching another author and, and there might be a reader who pipes up in the middle and say, oh, I've already read your book and I totally knew who done it and, you know, uh-huh. and everything. And, and that's, a, that's a little awkward, but, but, you know, but at the same time, you got to respect them for doing it. You know, some people's minds just really work that way. And I think that that's yeah. great. So, um, yeah, but uh, it's, it's fun. Yeah, I think some people's minds are better at solving those puzzles. But then sometimes, because I mean, to have a really well developed mystery, authors have to like, layer in little nuggets that make you think this person is 
the killer. And if at the end they haven't done that, then you kind of feel cheated because there weren't any hints along the way. And I think sometimes as you're reading, your mind just gloms onto one of those hints and sometimes it doesn't and you can't always control it. So yeah, sometimes you figure it out and sometimes you just don't. And either way, Mm -hmm. it's a fun reading experience as long as you've really threaded in you know, all the different red herrings and made them all look like viable suspects, even if you end up knowing who done it before mm-hmm. the end of the book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So in the Ancestry Detective series, I've noticed that you introduce us readers to some red herrings right from the get-go. Um, do you think it's essential in creating a good red herring for those characters to be part of the story from the very beginning? You know, I... I don't. Um, I, I think that there's many different ways to, to craft a book. I, I um, you know, I, I don't try to adhere to too many quote unquote rules um, mm-hmm. other than sort of the rules of good writing in general. And, um, and so I, I do think it's important for some of the red herrings to be around because if they sort of pop up in the middle of the book and then just sort of disappear, it's sort of, I don't know, you kind of think, oh, I'm not sure why this character was even there. But, um, but I, I, I think that you can do them uh, several different ways. And, um, and just, it's just important to have them developed enough in the book to, so that they are a viable suspect, that they have a motive or that the, the main character has a reason for suspecting them. And that's, that's, um, that makes sense to the reader. So there needs to be good ex- explanations or whatnot. And then there needs to be a, a, a working through of why they are the, the red herring. And so, mm-hmm. um, but as far as having them right from the beginning, I, I think that with me, I, they just sort of come out as they come out. Um, I, I am a, a pantser. And so, so things just sort of um, with me, they sort of really sort of pop up as, and, you know, come as, as they happen in my mind. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and so that's probably part of it with me, but, but I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily, uh, that they have to be there right at the beginning. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I do like to have a couple of potential suspects on my radar pretty early on in the story, just because it gives, uh, you know, that fun, like, kind of suspicious. So this person looks interesting. This person might be up to no good uh, from early on in the novel. So that's fun. But Mm -hmm. I don't care what point a red herring is introduced into the story, even if it's later on, um, kind of like we've talked about, as long as they're well-developed and we see their motivations and they become like fully fleshed out characters, uh, then I'm going to walk away from the book a happy reader. I agree. I agree. As, as, as long as it's, like you said, as they're, as they're fleshed out and, Mm -hmm. and the, the, the reader understands why that character is there, um, then, then that's fantastic for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, are there any authors you think uh, who do a really good job of creating red herrings and misdirecting their readers? Uh, yeah, I think there's uh, so many of them. Um, I think Ellie Alexander does a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Carlisle, uh, Vivian Chin, I think mm-hmm. she does a great job. Um, Carolyn Haynes, and of course, Agatha Christie. I mean, of on. course. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Esme Addison does a great job. Um, and, um, and then if, if uh, she's not as well known here in America, but uh, if you happen to like English historical 
um, nine, I think they're 1920 set um, in the Yorkshire Dales. Uh, Frances Brody does a wonderful job. She does a Kate Shackleton mysteries. Okay. And, um, and they're, and she does a great job. I'll definitely have to check those ones out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, obviously I think you do a great job with uh, red herrings in your novels, or I wouldn't have invited you to speak about this specific topic. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I would also recommend a couple of my recent reads as well, um, where the authors did just a really good job with the misdirection. And I would say that's Emmeline Duncan in Fresh Brood Murder, mm-hmm. and then Veronica Bond in Death in Castle Dark. Those ones definitely like had me guessing until the very end. So those were fun. Oh, that's fantastic. I haven't, I've heard of both of them, but I haven't, I haven't read one of those yet. So I'll have uh-huh. to add them to my list. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're fun. I think you'd really like those ones. So you mentioned that you're a pantser, uh, which I find fascinating for a mystery writer. Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of writers strictly abide by various story structure guidelines. And while I know that's been shown to work really well for a lot of genres, I am curious to know if you think following like a rigid story structure would even work in a mystery series, because it seems like if you're introducing uh, red herrings and murderers in the same approximate place in each of your stories, your readers would be able to catch on to who the real killer was really easily. I actually come from a journalism background. And (laughs) so, um, and then, you know, journalists, they're I think they're sort of pantsers by nature. They have to learn to be pantsers. And even though I never did anything, um, like I was never a newspaper reporter or anything like that, I mostly did magazine articles and uh, press releases and stuff like that. But they all follow a similar type of uh, way of working. And um, and so I think that that's part of the reason why I am such a pantser. And 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 um, you know you have to think real fast on the top of your head, off the top of your head, and whatnot. And then you know I grew up reading mystery novels and everything, and so I think part of the sort of structure of them um, sort of kind of winded its way into my way of thinking and whatnot. But other than that, I really. I, you know, I don't follow too, too many rules. Following a, a rigid structure for, for some people it works well, like the plotters. I have a friend of mine who, you know, does like a Trello board and I mean, just plots everything like, and I mean, and it's amazing. I'm fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And I cannot do it to save my life. I have tried <laughs> and tried a million times over. Ellie Alexander has a, uh, a fantastic um, way of plotting. She's got this sheet that she writes on. She sends it to me. And I tried using it and it's amazing, but it just, I, I would fill it out and then I would never look at it again. And so, because that's just, that's just sort of how a pantser works. Um, and so I, th- the one thing about pantsers versus plotters that I've found is that there's, there's, uh, um, they're equally successful in every genre that you have them. I mean, Reese Bowen, she's one of the mm-hmm. most amazing cozy mystery writers and everything like that. Full on pantser. She's wow. like me. Yeah, she has. Um, and when I, when I heard her say this, I was like, Oh my God, thank God. <laughs> you know, <'cause> <laughs> not said, alone. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. That's exactly how I felt, but I was listening to her. She was at murder by the book here in Houston. And she said, I have zero idea where the book is going from when I start writing. She said, I just start writing and just go from there. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. And because that's exactly what I do too. And um, and so, and then, you know, some of my favorites are full on plotters. And um, so I think, um, I think it, it, 
following a rigid storyline or, or a set of rules uh, or a rigid storyline, like a plot, like a plot, I think works for some people um, and it doesn't work for others. It does not happen to work for me. Following a rigid set of rules is a little different. And I just, I don't know. Um, it, it doesn't really work for me because I try to do just uh, what feels natural. Um, but, um, but for some people, for some writers, uh, that may be what, um, is, is the key to a good book for them and mm-hmm. uh, for writing a good book, obviously. And, um, cause I think whenever you're reading it as a reader, unless you know, whether your author, your, your reading is a plot or a pantser, as long as it's a good story and, um, and it, and it serves its purpose as a good book, then it shouldn't matter. I definitely want to make sure that I, I have a good book, that I have a, a certain flow. I have a certain pacing and whatnot, but I try not to think about it too, too much. Um, so I had, a, a a writer friend of mine tell me that she really likes my pacing and I, mm-hmm. um, and to be honest, and I was just, I went, Oh my goodness. And, and I felt so terrible because I had not really even thought about it that much. I just started <laughs> wanting to make sure that it just flowed along well and everything like that. And I just, that was a huge compliment to me, but it made me realize how much I don't really adhere to those rules very much. And so, and I, and I definitely, am one of those people that I sit there and I think, okay, should I? And I try out different things. I don't uh-huh. ever say no to any situation. I, I don't say I will never try it this way or whatever. And so I definitely try little things and whatnot, but in the end I go with what feels best for me. Yeah. And I mean, isn't that like both the great and terrible thing about writing is that there's not like a right way to do it. You just have to do it however works for you. To get through the book, but like at the same time, it's like, man, this is so hard. It would be so nice if there was just a guide of like, this is what you do to write a book, and that was the end of it. (laughs) Exactly right, you know. And and yeah, I I completely agree with that. Sometimes it would just be easier if there was just a step by step situation, and there and there never is once you actually get into it. And uh, you know, you just have to keep keep plugging at it and make it the best that it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. And I, I'm curious to know, what is your writing process like then? Um, well, I, um, I, I literally, I think of an idea and, and I think about, um, you know, how I kind of want it to go in general. And I know all too well that the characters are likely going to take over and go in a different direction on some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I just, I just really just start writing. And now because I'm still, still a fairly new author in the publishing world, you know, my agents and my editors like having, um, a synopsis, um, and, but, um, they, they've become a little less detailed as I've, as I've gone on because they, they trust that I, or, you know, have my ideas or, you know, but good ones and that I know how to plot a book and whatnot, right. but I still, I still give them an idea of what I want the beginning, the middle the, and the end to be and whatnot. So, so they have a good idea. Um, but, um, as far as writing goes, I, um, I, I treat my writing like a job. I don't, I don't listen to music or watch television. Um, and I'm generally at my desk. Um, and you know, most of the day or all day. Um, and, but I do tend to write better in the afternoons. Um, and so that's whenever I kind of do the most of my work 
And um, so in the mornings, I'll do some editing or some researching and go back over things and whatnot. And, uh, and then I just sort of keep going. I tend to start at the beginning and then I go chronologically and just chapter to chapter. Every once in a while, I'll skip forward. If, I, if there's a particular scene that I know I need to get down, I will write that down and, uh, and then store it away and uh, until I need it. Um, but generally I just go and I see it sort of in my mind, sort of like a movie. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and how a movie would work out and whatnot. And that's how it works out for me. So that's fascinating. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I've heard of people sleuthing into cold cases as a hobby before, but I've never heard of anyone digging into cases that are literally hundreds of years old, like Lucy Lancaster does. And then using genealogy to do it. And I thought that was just such an original and fun premise. How did you come up with that idea? Uh, Well, so I have amateur genealogists in my family um, going way back. I mean, even my great-grandfather was huge into genealogy. And uh, so was my uh, grandmother on my dad's side. And uh, and then on my mom's side, uh, my mom was as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, or is, she's still here, thank goodness. And, um, but, um, so I just have always grown up hearing about my ancestors. And every time I would go see my grandmother, I would learn something else. Oh, you know, we've got, you know, we, we trace to the Plantagenets. We, we trace to the, you know, this, whatever. And, um, so it was always so much fun. And I was at a, uh, Writers League of Texas, conference uh, a few years back and um I believe it was in 2014 and um anyway so I went to one of these uh panels and they were talking about characters with interesting jobs and um and I knew I wanted to write a cozy mystery series and I just thought genealogist that it's just got to be a genealogist and I thought I can have a murder in the past and a murder in the present and how they work together. And, um, and it just, and I went back to my room and started writing murder once removed right then. And that first, um, that first chapter was written in, in my hotel room and, uh, and I absolutely loved it. And so, um, so it was great. I just, I loved the fact that she was a, a I'm a history geek, a history geek and, a, um, and, and I made Lucy one too. And that way she can really get into it. And, um, and I find genealogy so fascinating. And so it was really fun to delve into that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So do you do genealogy as well? Or it sounds like your family's already really done a lot of it for you. So have you had to do much of that? I, that's, like you said, I mean, I pretty much have my genealogy done for me before I even started this, um, especially on my dad's side. And of course, they're always (laughs) finding out new things and whatnot. Um, And you, you know, you don't really just have two sides of your family once you start going further back. I mean, you have, you know, you have more and more. In fact, um, um, you know, like by the time that you get to your three times great grandparents, um, you have 16 sets of, of, of people who make up your three times great grandparents wow. for 32 sets of ancestors who are your three. And so, I mean, I just think about it. I mean, by the time you get to your 10th great grandparents, 
you have 4,096 ancestors that wow. make up your 10th great grandparents. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot to find out obviously and everything, but, um, but a lot of it was already, a lot of my own genealogy was already done for me. And, um, and there's so many interesting things, uh, that they have found out and whatnot. Um, and, uh, like I descend from, uh, the two Mayflower passengers that came over on the boat, but then they married later. Uh And, uh, and so that was really neat because I mean, how many people know like their actual origin couple from, you know, who, from once when they came over to America Mm -hmm. from that far back, you know, from uh, what 1630 and everything. And, um, and so, and that, I mean, and then from that line, I mean, I'm, related to Franklin Delano Roosevelt and, um, oh, cool. and yeah, because this, this line, uh, from uh, his name was John Howland and his wife was Elizabeth Tilly. And, um, from that line, um, there's so many people, um, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Ralph wow. Emerson and yeah. So, um, so there's a lot of uh, the, the Bushes, uh, the president, both president Bushes and, uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot of interesting things, um, that, that came from that. And, uh, one of the things that I found that was really the most interesting in my family tree was that, especially on my dad's side, that's sort of where my writing, uh, skill comes from. Fascinating. It, yeah. And, and it goes back like throughout my family tree, like I found instances of writers, you know, in, in various ways, um, from poets to book publishing, to magazines, to, um, newspapers, you know, back into like the 1700s and whatnot. And so it's kind of interesting to really feel that that skill is somehow in my blood bloodline, mm-hmm. you know, so that's been really interesting. Genealogy is absolutely fascinating. It's, it's an absolute rabbit hole if you start going down it, but it's really cool. It is. My dad is actually really into genealogy, and he was able to trace his family all the way back to the 1500s, um, which was really mm-hmm. cool because his family immigrated to the U.S. from this little tiny town in northern Italy called San Zeno. Mm-hmm. And then he was able to connect with some cousins who still live in that town. And then we got to go back and visit them a few years ago. So it was just, yeah, it was so Isn't cool. That cool. Yeah. And wow. so we got to like walk around the cemetery. And in Italy, they have um, the pictures of the person on the headstone. And I don't know how they do it because they're just remarkably well preserved. So we were able wow. to like walk around and see like my great great grandfather's headstone and his picture and just like what all of our ancestors actually looked like. It was amazing. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, I you know, um, I've I've had that sort of experience, but only in in America, like from and uh, but um, but that, but going to you know back to Italy and seeing and seeing their images on your the headstones. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, and you know, I whenever I was young, going to a cemetery kind of freaked me out a little bit but now like once you get into genealogy like going to cemeteries is really cool and there's so much information to learn from them and everything but that is so neat to find your family and still have those connections and meet your cousins that are like Mm -hmm. separated by you know uh in generations and gosh um what I mean since the 1500s I mean that's a long separation there but and that there's there's still that connection 
That's yeah. really cool. I've had a couple of people, a couple of readers find my books and, um, and then write me and say, Hey, you know, my name is Perkins too. And, and they've done their oh, genealogy wow. and, and we figured out how we're kind of related and everything. So that's, that's really neat. How it's, neat is that? Yeah, it really is. It's really cool. So, um, so yeah, that's awesome. It like appeals to the, those of us that just love stories. Like you can definitely see the connection between like loving books and then loving the stories of history and genealogy and all of that. So that's neat. I completely agree. So one of the many things I just love about your main character, Lucy, is that she sees the value of those stories and everything. Um, You know, for example, most of us might toss out an old desk and get something that's new and modern. But Lucy treasures like the scratch marks on the desk that she uses from where her grandfather used to play tic-tac-toe. And she seeks out like not only facts in the family histories that she researches for people, but the stories behind them. Um, so is that a characteristic that you and Lucy have in common then? It is. Um, you know, I tried I tried to not put too, too much of myself into Lucy. And I don't see myself whenever I write her. I always see an actress whenever I write my books. And mm-hmm. um, but but that was one thing that I just knew that she would love. And I love that too. I mean, the idea of, of, you know, something that her grandfather used to use and, uh, and spoiler alert when I, I knew when I was writing murder once removed and I put that desk in there, that it was her grandfather's desk and that those, uh, that, you know, quote unquote, tic-tac-toe crosshatch on there. I knew that it was going to be, something different than just tic-tac-toe and Uh for anyone who reads the second book you find out why and um and so but and yeah those kinds of things lucy treasures them she's that type of person who who sees an old chair in an antiques shop and and wonders about all the people who sat in it, you know, um, and, or, or a dish and wonders about all the people who used it and whatnot. And, and that's how I am too. And so someone like, like Lucy, who is into genealogy and into history so much, I, I felt that that would be a a fun thing to put in there and it has been. So yeah, that's definitely something we have in common. That was fun. And I love um, how you just mentioned about her grandpa. He's one of my favorite characters in this series. He's so adorable. Isn't he? I love yes. grandpa. <laughs> oh, I love him. He was so much fun to ride. I, I actually um, did not know my grandfathers. They passed away when both in the same year when I was very young. And so, um, but I've heard a lot about them. And so I wanted, I wanted Lucy to have uh, her grandfather. And uh-huh. um, so I kind of gave grandpa um some traits of both of my grandparents and a couple of other um uh men in my life who were sort of um surrogate grand- grandfathers in other ways and whatnot so he was so much fun to write grandpa and I just I just loved him and I love it that readers love him and they write me and say oh I just love grandpa mm-hmm. so yeah he's a blast That's so neat. And I mean, you just have such a fun cast of characters in the Ancestry Detective series. And I also really love Lucy's office girlfriend group. And I just want to go get a cocktail with Lucy and Serena and Josephine sometime. So how important was it for you to show such a great example of female friendship? 
It was really important to me um, because, you know, I wanted, I wanted Lucy to sort of have her ride or die posse, you know, and, uh, and girls that were going to be there for her all the time. And, and I have wonderful girlfriends in my life too. And, um, and one thing that I wanted to do was I wanted one of them to be someone that had been her best friend since she was a child who in the books is Serena and then I wanted her to have someone that she met uh, more recently, but who has become one of her best friends. And because uh, a lot of us, uh, uh, it's actually sort of, I think, been proven to some extent that most of us don't it, have a hard time making strong friendships as mm-hmm. an adult. And, um, and so and I've been lucky enough to have a few, uh, a small group of girlfriends who have become, I've become very, very tight with. And so... I wanted to sort of honor those, but I also wanted to make two, um, have all three of these girls, but, um, especially Serena and Josephine be strong, you know, badass women, smart and intelligent and funny. And, um, but I also wanted to have two characters that really appreciated Lucy for her niceness. Lucy is, she, I mean, she's not super nice. I mean, you know, I mean, she definitely holds her own and she's got a spine mm-hmm. and everything like that, but she's, she's more willing to give people second chances, um, which, um, which I think is important. And I love that about her. And, um, and, but a lot of those types of people um, are not really respected by others. And sometimes their friends look down on them for that and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. And uh, it was important to me to have, uh, Serena and Josephine love her for that as much as they love her for her strength and her intelligence and uh, and her talents. So I, I have an absolute blast writing them because, you know, mm-hmm. Serena, you can be really unfiltered with. And Josephine just has that British sense of humor, which I hope that comes out in, in her and everything. And I just, oh, they're completely. so much fun to write. Yeah. Yeah. I'd yeah. love to have got cocktail with them too, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. And Lucy is uh, just that perfect balance of, like, kind yet sassy. She's a great character. Um, I can't say enough how much I I enjoyed Lucy. And uh, one quote from her from Murder Once Removed that, like, really struck me as I was reading is she's um, she's having a conversation with a character named Gus Haloran in the first book. And she thinks to herself, even though a client's ancestor might have died long ago, it doesn't mean that subsequent generations had let go of injustices to the family. And in all of your novels, I think you do a great job of demonstrating how injustices that happened even hundreds of years ago can still impact a family's present circumstances. Um, so was that an intentional theme in the books? It was. Um, and, you know, part of it was to help link the present and past murders and everything. But um, but if, if you really look at uh, so many mysteries, no matter what the subgenre, from thrillers on down to, you know, young adults and everything, and, um, and, and also other types of books, fantasies, um, um, women's fiction, pretty much anything, um, even things like the Harry Potter books and everything, mm-hmm. if you really look into them, family and what has happened to a family is a strong theme in there. And if you think about 
TV shows that you might watch, like procedurals, um, SVU, NCIS, and things like that and everything, there are so many motivations that cause people to do what they do that come from uh, family injustices, familial dynamics, and things like that. And so even though people might not recognize it as genealogy, um, it's still, that's exactly what it boils down to. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I realize this, there's so many times that I might read a book and everything and that, you know, there might be something in there and, and something that happened decades ago to their grandfather, maybe they lost their lands and somebody's trying to get their lands back or something like that. And I mean, it's, it's really prevalent throughout so many books and it was, it was wonderful to be able to tie that in and, and make it sort of a theme to, to show that, that even though that these happened, you know, years or decades ago and everything, it still affects a family as they go forward. And, you know, usually not to the point of murdering somebody, but you never know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) And, um, but it is, you know, I mean, I, even in my own family stuff, I mean, there's things, oh, you know, we heard that we know that this family member way back when did this or whatever. And, and, um, you know, and, or that they, um, that they lost their money. And so that they lost their lands and now they're, they're being owned by somebody else. And I remember on a trip with my mom, we were seeing some of, uh, the areas where her family was from in Mississippi. And, um, and a new family owned this beautiful piece of land that used to be in our family and everything. And of course it was all like legit and everything, but we mm-hmm. just sat there and kind of stood out there and not in a creepy way, but kind of looked over at this land and everything. We we're like, wow, you know, it used to be in our family. And, right. uh, and so it's, it's neat and everything, but I think it all kind of ties in. And yeah, I just, it's, it is fun to, whenever I read other books and everything to see how genealogy really pops up um, almost everywhere. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. That is interesting. And I love in your books, like there's a, a a few different characters where situations that happened like decades or even hundreds of years ago really impacted their financial situation in a very negative way mm-hmm. for generations and generations. And I love seeing cozies incorporate some of those important social themes um, while still maintaining their coziness. And I think it takes a lot of talent on the part of the author to be able to do that. And you just do it really well. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot to me. It really does. And so I have to admit that prior to reading this series, I have always been completely stumped by certain aspects of genealogy. And I really appreciated the genealogy relationship chart that you put in the front of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I understand now, but can you explain for our listeners, what exactly is a first cousin once removed? <laughs> okay, so the term once removed um, is what throws everybody off. Mm-hmm. And and what once removed means is that that person who you're related to is either um, is a generation or more removed from you, either older than you or younger than you. And so that's another thing that stumps people is they think that um, if the person is either older than them or younger than them, then the then the the uh, familiar relationship changes, and it doesn't. Um, so. You can have a first cousin once removed who is older than you or mm-hmm. younger than you, and they're still your first cousin once removed. All it means is that they are a generation separated from you. 
So most people are familiar with what their first cousin is. That is the, um, that is the son or daughter of your aunt or uncle. And so that, ma that makes your first cousin. And um, so if your first cousin has a child, that child, their relationship to you is first, is there's, you're still first cousins, but uh -huh. your first cousins once removed because they are a generation younger than you. Okay. Um, same as if you are talking to your mother's first cousin and your mother's first cousin is also your, your first cousin once removed because, but they are just an, a, a generation older than you. Okay. So, and then second, twice removed, two generations you know, and so on. So that's all it is, is just they're in a different generation. And, and sometimes it becomes even more complicated. Like my dad was one of six, um, spanned across many years. So his youngest brother is um, just only a couple of years old, older than, um, than his, than their eldest uh, niece. And so so it, it becomes there, you know, with, with the generations and, and where people are born and what year they're born and how old the parents are, um, it can get really confusing. And I understand, and I, I totally get that, but, but, you know, when it just comes to once removed, you just have to think of it in terms of whether that person is born in your line, in your generational line, or one generation more older or younger than you are or two okay. and so and so and so. Yeah. Yeah. It, see, when you explain it and when Lucy explains it, it just makes so much logical sense. So it was fun to like, not only read the book for the entertainment, but you also learn a little bit as well. So that's really neat. Yeah. You know, um, I, I told myself when I started writing these, if, that if even one person came back to me and said, Oh, I, I understand now what my first cousin once removed is and I would be happy. And, and I actually had a reader post that somewhere they're like I actually understand what that means now I uh -huh. <laughs> and I was like yes I've done my job and, yeah um, I love it and um I j just one other fun thing because I I was so excited by this so um if anybody reads Reese Bowen's Lady Georgie her uh -huh. Royal Spines Mysteries which are some of my favorites um she always Lady Georgie always talks about how she's not quite sure her relationship to um to queen victoria and, and or or the her cousins of queen victoria and everything in one of the most recent books she actually ha figures out what her relationship was and everything and and i thought oh, that cool. was so great i was like yes <laughs> so she knows yeah so, genealogy yeah. is spreading through the cozy mystery genre now <laughs> it really is it really is between that and all the shows that are happening about it so right. i mean there's a hallmark show coming on this weekend that's about genealogy so oh um, really yeah mm -hmm. i think it's called my christmas family tree or something like that oh, and i okay. thought there you go <laughs> There, I'm going to have to get my sister-in-law to come watch it with me. That sounds like something we would both love. So thank you for the recommendation. Yes, yes I love the Hallmark movie. So uh -huh. <laughs> they've, they've got that cozy vibe. So of course, they really do. Cozy, cozy mystery readers and writers love them. Exactly. So Lucy Lancaster is obviously all about a person's story. And I'm curious to know a little bit more about yours. So can you tell us about your publication journey? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so I started writing novels back in, um, around 2004, 2005. And, um, and then I initially wrote a, um, 
a romance novel, but I knew that I didn't really want to get published in a romance novel, at least not yet. I'm perfectly willing to write one in the future. I love romance. Um, and, um, but uh, so I knew I wanted to write mysteries. And so I started um, on, you know, writing mysteries and I have uh, two others that I've written and uh, that I've never even tried to get published. And, um, and then as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was at this uh, Writers League of Texas, Texas conference and that's whenever our, my first cozy started to take place. And, um, and then I wrote it and I, um, and I had it edited and rewrote it probably four or five times at least. And, um, and then I sent it into the Malice Domestic Best First Traditional Novel Contest, which had um, at the time been going on for, I believe, about 25 years. Wow. And, um, Donna Andrews won, uh, Julia Spencer Fleming won, and, and various other authors and whatnot. And they took a break from it, but they've actually brought it back for So anyone who's writing Cozy Mysteries now who are interested, I, I think it's still, uh, it's still open for um, you can submit your novel. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I won, and uh, that was absolutely amazing and fantastic. And so I sort of Jump the queue a little bit as far as because I was just about to start sending out uh, query letters. I'd, I'd sent out mm -hmm. probably three or four, and um, and then um, and then I found out that I won, and uh, and then even luckier, even better, I had a, a lunch where I was sitting at this was at Malice Domestic, and I sat down with a bunch of other authors, and I was just you know gobsmacked and. Um, and I just happened to sit down next to Kate Carlisle and I said, Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. you're Kate. Yeah. And I said, Oh my gosh, you're Kate Carlisle. And she's like, you know who I am. And I was like, Oh my God, yes, I'm a huge <laughs> fan. And I, you know, and started just like babbling on to her about, uh, about how much I loved her books and everything. And, um, and then later on, uh, she and another author offered to introduce me to their agents. And, um, and, and so, yes. And so I have, uh, I have Kate Carlisle to thank for my wonderful agents. And, um, so, um, so yeah, that was, that was my, uh, sort of a little bit non-traditional, but I, you know, I mean, it was, I did, I've been writing novels for, for 13 years. It was 13 years before I knew I was going to get published. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, so it was, it was definitely not a quick process, but, um, but it did turn out a little bit less traditional, um, whenever it actually happened. Yeah, it's always fascinating because writers always have like, it's always something completely different with their journey. Everyone's journey is so different. And uh, it's never an overnight thing for most people. It's, it takes like years and years and decades. And it's I, I'm just glad that you got published because it's such a pleasure to read all of these books that you have coming out. Thank you. Yes, it's it's, you know, it's all I've ever wanted to do. And and I, uh, the one thing that I did um, is I, I knew from the get go that it would need to be baby steps, and I, mm -hmm. I think that that was uh, that that helped me a lot. Um, so it was it was a long journey, but uh, but honestly, I wouldn't change it uh, a second of it. So before we wrap up, let's do a quick round of lightning questions so readers can get to know you, SC or Stephanie Perkins, a little bit better. Okay. All right. So coffee or tea. Oh, tea. Although I like both, but tea is, tea is my thing. And the book you're reading right now? 
Um, I am just about to start. I just finished. I, I, I love romance and, mm-hmm. and, and historicals, and I go through uh, a bunch of them and everything. But I'm just about to read um, Lori Raider Day's Death at Greenway. Oh, which fun. Is, yeah, which is um, set at Agatha Christie's house uh, during World War II. So. Oh, well, that sounds like something we all have to read. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, I think it's going to be really great. Oh, for sure. And what's your favorite season? I would have to say summer. Summer. Summer girl. Yeah. And what is your favorite genre to read? Um, well, it, of, of course, mystery. But uh, And I, I like all of the sun, subgenres and everything. And then uh, beyond that, really historical, love historical mysteries and romance um, beyond mysteries. Uh, those are fun. Those are sort of my go-tos. And your favorite food? Oh, uh, God, that's so hard. I love, I'm a big eater. I loved, um, I would probably have to say kind of, right. I'd probably have to say sushi right now. Oh, that's yeah. my husband's favorite. And mm-hmm. I also have to add that we've eaten a lot of tacos lately as I've been rereading your series. <laughs> of course. I mean, come on, Tex-Mex, it's in my blood. Right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, we've we've definitely had multiple taco nights because of the Ancestry Detective series. I I am I am very proud to to say that I I made that happen in your your life. So (laughs) yeah, so thank you. We appreciate it. You're welcome. The author you'd most like to meet? Um, Well, you know, the one thing about having gone to all these conferences over the years and everything is I have met so many authors who have just been like my idols. And so, mm-hmm. so there's so many of them that I've already met that I, um, but so it kind of would have to be somebody who's maybe not around anymore. Um, cause I can't think of one that I right now. Oh, well, um, one who's still alive is, uh, Jilly Cooper. She does not write, uh, mysteries. She writes, uh, English, uh, romances set in the generally set in the horse industry and um and they're they're very uh, uh, fun and uh romances kind of a little racy actually mm-hmm. very racy and everything like that but she's <laughs> great um and then dick francis who was he's still one of my all-time favorite authors um and uh but he passed away and um james harriet who that was that was one uh, all creatures great and small um I really wish I could have met him oh I just love those books yeah so yeah great answers Mm -hmm. and the location you'd most like to visit oh um I would probably I would love to go to Ireland I haven't Mm. been there Mm -hmm. I think Ireland would be so much fun so and um and I, you know, I know where my like ancestral area is and we're from uh, Donegal and I would love to, to go there and, and, uh, kind of walk where my ancestors have walked, like, like you got to do in Italy. That'd be so cool. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's almost a job requirement for you at this point. Right. I think so too. I think, you know, <laughs> it'd be like a totally write it off. So yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, um, but before we forget, I, I, um, I listened to the podcast where you spoke with uh, Jennifer J. Chow, who uh-huh. just, uh, we haven't met yet, um, but uh, in person um, because of silly COVID, but, uh, nice. but I, I'm looking forward to meeting her, but she's just a doll and her books are wonderful too. But, um, but I heard you mention that you and 
your 90 year old grandmother are reading uh-huh. the Miss Marple series. And I love that. Yes. I think that is so cool. It's so great and so cute and sweet. And um, I, you know, my grandmother are, are gone now too and everything, but I would have loved to have done that. So I just think that that's wonderful. And that's, and that is sort of kind of brings in a little bit of the genealogy too. That's, that's a really mm-hmm. wonderful connection with your grandmother. So I think that's lovely. Oh, it's been so much fun. And like you said earlier, it's kind of like the, the traits kind of passed down uh, mm-hmm. from her to me because we both uh, were figure skaters and we both love growing pumpkins. And we both love mystery novels. So it's it's been a really fun thing to do together and to keep us both busy through this pandemic. So Yeah. Uh, isn't that lovely, though, to see those traits that are passed down? That's another uh-huh. fascinating thing about genealogy and, um, you know... I think that's amazing and that, that, that her love of those things, you know, got uh, passed down to you. So that's really wonderful. Yeah. That, that makes is. my little genealogist heart happy. <laughs> yeah. I just adore her. It, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's been so fun. That's great. I, I hope maybe you'll do a post on that someday. And Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. That would be so fun. I could have her as a guest on the podcast. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely should. Just talking your favorite uh, favorite books and stuff. That would be great. Yeah. Oh, that's it. You just gave me the best idea. I, we're going to have to do a <laughs> bonus episode with my grandma. <laughs> I think that would be great. Yeah, yeah. you should. Oh, I we will. All right. Well, Stephanie's latest novel in the Ancestry Detective series, Fatal Family Ties, is out now. So if you haven't read it already, I do highly recommend picking it up. This is such a fun series with so much heart. And it's just been such a pleasure getting to chat with you about it. Um, But before we sign off, Stephanie, do you want to tell our listeners what you're working on now and how they can connect with you online? Absolutely. Um, well, I am, I'm working on a little something different right now, and uh, I hope to be able to announce it in the next uh, month or maybe two. So Ooh. I'm very excited about that. And, um, and then as far as connecting with me online, I, um, I'm at SC Perkins Writer everywhere on all platforms. And, um, and I'm pretty much everywhere. And, um, and then my uh, website is scperkins.com. But if you forget and type in SC Perkins writer, it, that actually will switch you over there too. So, um, so I absolutely hope to connect with, with uh, more readers. It's just so much fun um, Mm -hmm. talking with them and hearing, I get to hear their stories of, um, of their genealogy and whatnot. And that has been amazing to hear some of these things that and some people have been inspired to even look further into it's into their genealogy it's been really amazing so I've loved it but but this has been so much fun uh uh, wonderful questions I really enjoyed it so thank you so much Christy oh no thank you so much for hanging out with me I have had such a great time it's always uh, just such a treat to get to talk to authors whose work you love and respect. And it, so, you know, I'm kind of like fangirling over here. So thanks for being on this show. I, I would love to have you on again. And I am definitely going to be staying tuned to see what your upcoming news is.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Get Cozy Podcast, we're going to be ending each episode with recommendations for some upcoming cozy mystery releases that you simply can't miss. So without further ado, here are a couple of cozies to add to your to-read list. I have two new releases for you this week for my recommendations. The first is book number three in an Amish matchmaker mystery series by Amanda Flower. It's called Marriage Can Be Mischief. And in this book, Millie Fisher may be widowed, but she leads a full life in her Amish hometown of Harvest, Ohio. There's her quilting circle, her bow or goats, her gift for matchmaking, and the occasional murder. Millie is happy that her childhood friend, Uriah Schrock, has returned to Harvest after decades away. He was sweet on Millie in their school days, but she only had eyes for her future husband. Now there's a new spark between them, so Millie is concerned when Uriah doesn't show up at the Harvest concert series, or for his job as the Village Square's groundskeeper. Perhaps Millie has been involved in too many murder investigations, but she has a sinking feeling. And when she and her best friend Lois find Uriah with the police, it seems she's right. A film crew is in Harvest to make a movie about a 40-year-old unsolved murder. A skeleton has been found at the bottom of a ravine, and Uriah is certain it's his sister, Gailey. Right before Uriah left Ohio, she disappeared, and her harsh husband, Samuel, was found fatally stabbed with a knitting needle. The sheriff declared that Gailey killed him and ran away. Uriah never believed the theory, and he's come back to Harvest hoping, God willing, Millie will help him stitch together the truth. The next book is a Kobo original book, so you do have to have Kobo to be able to get this one, um, but I highly recommend it. It's called Murder Most Actual by Alexis Hall. This is a cozy mystery that revisits the golden age of detective fiction, starring a heroine who's more podcaster than private eye and topped with a lethal dose of parody. Perfect for fans of Clue, Knives Out, and Only Murders in the Building. When up-and-coming true crime podcaster Liza and her corporate financier wife, Hannah, head to a luxurious hotel in the Scottish Highlands, they're hoping for a chance to rekindle their marriage, not to find themselves trapped in the middle of an Agatha Christie-esque murder mystery with no way home. But who better to take on the case than someone whose entire profession relies on an obsession with all things mysterious and macabre? Though some of her fellow guests may consider her an interfering new media hack, Liza knows a thing or two about crime, and, despite Hannah's preference for waiting out the chaos behind a locked door, might be the only one capable of discovering the killer. As the bodies rack up and the stakes rise, can they save their marriage and their lives? That's all for this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at GetCozyPodcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Also follow me at Cozy Christy, that's Cozy, K-R-Y-S-T-I, to see which cozies I'm reading and recommending. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. Cozy.